Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. How are we doing we at Near and Queer to My Heart are fully vaccinated and ready to party or just go outside <laughs> and say hi to people from three feet away now. Feeling good? We're happy about this episode. Excited to bring you Giovanni Espiritu. Giovanni's amazing. We talk about a lot of the acting that she's done. She was on Gilmore Girls. She had a multiple episode arc on ER. She is a star of Dyke Central, which is now streaming on Amazon. She's in a ton of stuff coming up. She's amazing. She's amazing. She was in... Actually, I'm not going to spoil it for you. You get to find out in the episode. And we'll spoil the whole episode that you're about to listen to. What kind of host am I? We're very excited about this. We're excited, as always, about our merch. Keep checking our merch page at teepublic.com. We always have new designs that we're throwing up there. Uh, you can get masks, t-shirts, phone cases, all kinds of stuff. We're, we're here for you. We're here for you and you're here for us and we thank you. And this is Giovanni's show, so let's get to it. Here's Giovanni. Hello, Giovanni. Hello, Amanda G. I'm trying not to ask people how they are because I keep swearing I'm not going to do it and then I do it. Uh, so I wanted to come in with a strong opener. I felt the strength. <laughs> and your confidence. It's good. <laughs> Thanks for doing the podcast. I'm, I'm really happy to, to be talking with you. Yeah, of course. You are an actress, a filmmaker, a writer, and an acting coach. Did I get all the things? I think you got all the things. People will learn this about me later, and you'll probably ask me questions about my, my life. And But I'm a mom, too, which is, you know a weird thing but it is what it is and I but I'm I'm all the things I am all the things a new mom or no I was in a cult and I have a kid that is taller than me but yeah I'm all the things and people usually think that that's a very weird thing about me and that explains my awkwardness because I have no social skills because of it or my social skills are very awkward because of it. So I kind of like to get it out of the way. I overshare way too much, which makes me a, I don't know, good writer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You just got to put it all out on the page or the stage or uh, another word that rhymes with those things. (laughs) I did. I do want to talk about that. Definitely. But before we do, I am the hugest Gilmore Girls fan in the goddamn world, and you were on an episode of Gilmore Girls, so I really, I just want to talk about that up top. How did that happen? What was the experience like? Any inside stuff that you are allowed to share that you can share, even the smallest thing for us folks that love Gilmore Girls and Stars Hollow and, you know, that whole world? 
That was so long ago. I played one of the college students named Karen in the episode where Paris get accepted into Harvard and Rory does not. And we were there to kind of highlight the fact that we're celebrating. Oh my gosh, we got in. Yay, whatever. So uh, the casting director, Mara Casey, knew me from like a class that I did with her, I think. I think that's what happened. And she hired me as part of an improv group. So we didn't have specific lines, but we were just supposed to banter with each other. And I forget, remind me who plays Paris again. She's amazing, but my brain is going numb right now. Oh no, now you're going to put me on the spot. I, I can definitely picture her. Okay. As long as you can picture her and she's, you know, how to, she's on how to get away with murder. Yes, she is. She's amazing. And she was so nice to us when we first started the takes. And there was, you know, there was banter. And you know how on sets you have, like, the real prop and then the fake prop? Mm-hmm. So we had a naked man cake uh, to celebrate <laughs> getting into Harvard. And one Liza of... Liza Wheel. Yes, Liza I Wheel. Like, I knew her last name had four wor- or four letters in it. I I could picture that, but I got there. <laughs> yeah. So she was super nice to us at first. We were like bantering, figuring out what we were gonna do, who was gonna give to what to what, because you kind of have to do the same things for the edit. And one of the other improv actors in the scene, you always have like an actor that wants to kind of take center stage, even though you're just there to support. <laughs> The people, you know, and support the scene and to make it go move forward, especially if you're not like a guest star on it. Because a guest, if you're a guest star, then the episode revolves around you. If you are just like a supplementary character, which we were, you're just there to make the, you know, story move forward. And we were basically all there to make Rory feel like shit. <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of like our, our purpose in the scene. Um, so one of the other actors took it upon themselves to be super extra. And when Paris, so Liza put her hand on top of the cake to pretend to take a taste of it, but she's not actually going to do it because she's a professional and, you know, that would actually ruin the prop. That actor swatted her hand as if like to like, oh, you know, you're such a bad girl. Don't touch the cake. Don't take a taste of that cake. And her hand smushed into... Oh no. The actual cake and she did not talk to us for the rest of the scene because understandably, you know, you have a group of what now she would deem as like unprofessional <laughs> <laughs> actors in that take. So That's not um, your fault. You're no. not it's, Yeah, well, I'm like just ice that one person out. But the way that TV works, it moves so fast. It like if you're, you know, especially like if you're already peeved at somebody, then like just let them be over there. Let them do their thing. I'll come when I need to, you know, actually interact with them. Yeah. So that's a story from Fillmore <laughs> Girls. It was it was really fun. Uh, I just I don't know. Like I love being on set. Being on set is really fun. And I didn't really get to interact with what is the girl's name? See, my brain's going soft again uh the girl that plays worry alexis bladell yeah so yeah she just barely made her way into the scene like so she just like did a cross so she didn't really interact with with us it was mainly paris but it was fun like it was one of my first gigs in the industry and to be on a show like gilmore girls which is iconic yes is pretty awesome (laughs) you know 
Yeah, I know. That was, and I, like I said, there, you have so many credits and we're going to go through them, you know, obviously after we talk about the cult, but I saw that pop out and I was like, I have to ask this up top. I don't want it to get lost in the shuffle. And I just, I need to know that the set is, is amazing and that they're all professional and wonderful people and that it, I love this show and that they are everything that I think. They are wonderful people. They are wonderful people. The, the late, the, who is the lady of the, the see, I, I should have like reviewed, <laughs> I should have studied up on myself before this podcast, but I didn't. <laughs> Bethany Rooney, I think that was a director's name and she's amazing. And the fact that two of my directors starting out in this industry were women, that kind of set my mind frame to be like, oh, it's a thing that I can do. I can be a director. I didn't know until I moved to LA how fucking difficult it is as a woman to be a director in this industry. Thankfully, it's changing, but you know, they kind of spoiled me. Yeah, well, especially, I mean, it's a, a show created, you know, I, I know Daniel Palladino is involved with his wife, Amy Sherman Palladino, but it's her baby. It's mm-hmm. her show. And she's done such an amazing job um, just as a, as a writer in general, but um, as a, a female to look up to. Yeah. And it is changing and, you know, time's up and I, you know, there has been a shift. It's not enough of a shift, but hopefully uh, in the future, we're, we're going to see more of a shift towards females being given even more opportunities than before being paid more. I'm not going to say the same as their male counterparts. They should be paid fucking more because you know <laughs> they have to do more for the everything. Yes. There's so many expectations on um, female actors and comedians and performers that the men have no fucking clue about. Exactly. So much emotional labor, so much like being polite to people and going super the extra mile because it takes three times more work to get to the same place and be afforded like the same opportunities and like just recognition and just respect than a dude in the same circumstances. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. But like I said, that's that's all changing. And even a show like Gilmore Girls, you know, like that's a show that it was on originally the WB, and then when the CW merged with um, when WB merged with UPN and became the CW, and they were looking at shows to cut like Gilmore Girls, they definitely thought about it. But that fan base was so strong, but have a, a female-led show written by uh, a female also many of the episodes are directed by females like that is is pretty phenomenal yeah yeah and you got to be a part of it like you always you know in history get to have been a part of it and that's so cool um okay thanks for indulging me <laughs> in that um, sorry to folks that are like i've never seen it gilmore girls stop the podcast go watch gilmore girls it's uh, you know only seven seasons plus four minisodes that Netflix released, and then they'll just get right back on here. It's no problem. It's you know this is the time to do it. If you thought oh maybe it's too late for me to go to Gilmore Girls, no, you have time. All right, so I know you mentioned the cult. We were going to get to it. It's so interesting. I was listening to Mark Maron's podcast today, and he had Glenn Close on, and she grew up in a cult, and I had no idea. What? I had no idea either. That's amazing. I feel like I have like a, what, do you know what cult that she was in? So she, yeah, she was in the moral rearmament. Oh my gosh. Cult. Her parents joined, they moved. I didn't know this too. She grew up in like the Congo and in Switzerland and like all over the world. And her parents got really involved in this cult. And she said that, you know, for years, like she had for her deprogramming, 
the big thing she was saying is like she wasn't even able to talk about it because she felt so much shame mm-hmm. even though now she's like it wasn't I was a kid I grew like I had no choice in the matter I didn't know anything I didn't have it wasn't up to me so now she's older and able to to talk about that and share about that and I thought that was cool um, and then when I was preparing for this I know that's one of the first things in our messages um, that you said that I was just like oh man I gotta gotta get more information on this so I don't know I can ask specific questions or if you just want to want to start with some basic yeah basic groundwork and uh <laughs> and I'll I'll start grilling you. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I definitely feel the same as Glenn Close in that there was so much shame involved with being part of a cult, especially because it wasn't something that I was just that I was I was born into or that when I was a super child, my parents made me. I actually made the choice to be in that cult. Uh, when I was a teenager. So I definitely had like the feelings of like, well, it's my fault, you know? Anyway, so the cult was an offshoot of an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And it's only been in the last two years that I've kind of been out with that part of my life. And it feels good to be able to say it because I'm trying to get rid of the shame surrounding it. But yeah, uh, and I have like a lot of grace for that child that I was. So I was a teenager. My mom, who had me when she was a teenager, was trying to grow up herself. So I give her a lot of grace in that space because she didn't know what the fuck she was doing. And what had happened was is that my stepfather was abusive to me and my mom stayed with him. So I went to go live with my grandparents. And a couple of years, maybe a year later, my mom said, hey, you know, your grandfather's sick. He's going to get good health care in the Philippines. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to leave my freshman year in high school and go to the Philippines uh, because I do love my grandfather. And he was the first good guy that I know in my life. And so if why would I be selfish and want to stay in the United States if he's going to get better health care in the Philippines? So my mom moved me and my grandmother and my grandfather all to the Philippines in the middle of, I think, sophomore year. And when I got there, I found out that she had another family. And I was living with 14 other strangers in this house in this third world that I didn't even know what to do with myself with. And when my uncle took me to church because he knew I was so depressed, there was like a youth group there. And the youth group, I just remember like feeling so taken in and just remember loving music so much that they were so nice to me that I kind of just fell into the whole thing. And I totally shut off everything that I was and who I was to join this cult. When I was in middle school, you know, I was super like dapper kid and, you know, like just having like the beginnings of my bisexuality, even though I didn't have words to call it. But when I joined this cult, everything that I was, I just killed. I gave away all of my music. I threw away all of my pants because they said that wearing pants was an abomination to God. I, you know, grew my hair long and they were very much into conspiracy theories. And as a, I think, 13 or 14 year old, it meant a lot to feel like I had family, especially coming from what I had come from. 
And it just got worse from there. You know, like you never join a cult thinking that it's a cult. You think it's like a a good group of people that are earnestly trying to be good. And then it just started getting weird. There was like survival school in the mountains for when Jesus came and the apocalypse happened. They sent me back to the United States. I started working, which I totally know now is completely illegal um, (laughs) for a couple in the Yosemite mountains. It's funny, like like I'm taking these classes at UCB and sometimes the writing prompts just have gotten me going into like spaces where I didn't want to remember. But yeah, I was working for a couple in Yosemite Mountains. They married me to one of the elders. And at the time, you know, I thought that, oh, yay, I got chosen, <laughs> which is so fucking stupid. It's It was a fucking pedophile relationship. And I didn't realize it then because I was like, I'm doing God's work. You know, there's so much like complicated feelings around that because I did love him even though he was old but in my head they had told me all of the patriarchs had wives and young young wives and I believed them so there's a lot of like really weird feelings about it but I would go through the whole thing again to have my kid because he is amazing and awesome and he made me grow up real quick he's part of the reason why I left because when he was one I was like holy shit the quote-unquote marriage it's not a marriage because it was not real, but he started getting abusive. And I was like, I don't want my kid to grow up in this. This doesn't feel right. And so that was my first growing of courage to leave that situation. And it took a while to deprogram. It took a long time. And weird thing is acting was part of it. That's how I became an actor. I was in the mountains in a cabin with my baby's father, ex-husband, quote unquote, And we didn't have a lot of people around us. And the only link to the outside world were telemarketing calls. Like I wasn't supposed to talk to anybody. So I would try to get people on the telephone to talk with me for a while. (laughs) Um, And one of them was like, you have a really interesting voice. You should get into voiceovers. I had no idea what voiceovers was. And my ex he had quit his job because he said that I wasn't being a good enough mother but so like this guy this telemarketing guy said that I was be good at voiceovers I looked it up on the internet and the very first agency that I found which is like one of the biggest ones in San Francisco was Stars Agency and I sent a really stupid 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 recording to them like I can't even believe what I sent in And they called me in and they signed me to the agency. They sent me out on my first audition and I ended up booking it and recording it on the same day. And it was like so fast. And I was like, oh my God, this is a sign from God. And I got my ex to agree to allow me to work because I had booked the job and he wasn't bringing any money and we had my kid. Yeah, so it was like this really weird way into the business and then once I got started working as a voiceover actor I was like oh shoot I gotta get good and then my agent referred a class to me so I started taking classes at this place and I was so shy and I didn't want to talk to anybody and people were concerned because every time the class ended I had to be right downstairs and right at the door to be picked up by this guy otherwise I would get in trouble and somebody from that class gave me a book called Free Yourself from Abusive Relationships and I had to hide it and I like read the book and I was like oh shit 
I am not in a safe space, <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, wow. Yeah, so that was like a lot. Yeah, that's, you know, like Cliff's Notes version of what happened to me. That's that's kind of what happened. So what was the group's actual name? You know how like the David Koresh, the Branch Davidians, they were an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Yeah. So this was an offshoot of an offshoot. So you have the Seventh-day Adventist Adventist Church, and then you have the Reformed Seventh-day Adventist Church, and then you have the home churches of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which is kind of like the more radicalized group that uh, youth group in the Philippines turned into the home churches. And those home churches aren't regulated by anything. It's just these cells everywhere. So it wasn't organized at all. And then my deprogramming kind of, it went from that home church in Yosemite that I was working for, the guy that they married me to, the guy that I got married to, we went to the Reformed Church, which was kind of like better than the extremist one. And then we went to the SDA Church, but it still was the thoughts behind the ideologies were kind of still the same. We're just kind of like getting back to a little bit more normal. It was a more extremist one uh, versions of the SDA theology was in the home churches where some of the quote unquote evangelists and the missionaries, they would go to the Philippines and they would seek out really beautiful Filipino women and be like men of God and like have like all these like children. And it got so fanatical that they were doing this thing called the back to Eden diet where literally everything that they ate was raw, even the rice. And there were like these kids that were like suffering from malnutrition, but it was like, no, you're, you're following God's diet plan and you are sacrificing and being stringent and following the rules type of thing. So it was just, it was a lot of craziness. And when I look back on it, I was like, wow, that's like maybe a year, two, three years of my life, but it seems like so much longer because I'm still not over it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's that's a lot. And a lot happened in a pretty short amount of time. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. You know, I think it is hard to talk about these things sometimes, but hopefully it's cathartic every time. Oh, it's definitely cathartic. And it's, I think the reason why I'm speaking out more about it is because like just reducing the shame surrounding it for myself, for anybody that's out there that's been a part of this crazy ideology and is having a hard time getting out of it for anybody that's been in an abusive relationships. What are the warning signs? Like in the Filipino community, you don't ever talk about domestic abuse because it's considered a family matter it's shameful to let your family matters be out in the open. So I'm just like, fuck that shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's no shame in it. And I do think, you know, hopefully, you know, you'll reach someone else who is going through this or um, is starting to see some warning signs and and just feels alone. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if you go through all the tenets of what a cult is, they find you at a, a vulnerable low time. I mean, you were halfway around the world, you're in an overcrowded situation where it sounds like you didn't have a lot of your own space. And, you know, here's this group that's a, that's accepting and welcoming. And of course, that makes sense. Yeah. Did they have one leader like the way, you know, David Koresh was or? No, the home church movement was definitely like a bunch of little cells uh, all around the world. 
and they were led by very charismatic people, but more community led. I'm not a big religion person in general, but when I, you know, have dipped my toe back and forth in it, one of the things that I always felt was so important was community and feeling connected and feeling like there's something greater than yourself out there. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, can really hook you in. Yeah. Like I'm not religious i'm not a christian anymore (laughs) probably because of this situation you know but i do believe that in something greater than myself and i do believe that there is goodness in the world that is bigger than all of us that we can still tap into so i haven't lost my faith in that aspect of the world it's just i lost my faith in like people and power grabs and people saying that they know what God is thinking when they have no fucking clue and they use religion to excuse like the most horrible actions and behaviors. Yeah, that's that's what drives me nuts. It's like religion's actually killed more people than anything else on earth ever. And it's always, it's a justification on both sides. I think it's for the Hilton. Anna Kendrick is in this commercial and this is, I'm not minimizing it at all, but I think it sums it up well there's like a soccer team of like kids and they're like praying to win a game and they're like, but isn't the other side doing the same thing? (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like, we're all saying like, this is what God's telling us to do. And we're, we're doing it in these holy wars and this and that. And it's like, but God's not picking a side. Like, that's not how this works. It just, it doesn't, it's illogical at a certain point. Yeah. And that's what I tell like a lot of my students too. Like acting is the most crazy psychology self-help deepening into yourself thing that I know of and the thing that you realize is that people who are quote-unquote bad or like you know they don't think that they're bad Mm -hmm. bitches don't think that they're bitches they just think that they're right you know and bossy people don't think that they're being wrong with anything they just think that it's going to be incredibly inefficient if you do it some other way and it's going to be a waste of time you know so there's so many so much justification about these traits that we see as negative but they're not really you know and like a lot of people just think that they're right and they can cover a multitude of sins by righteousness, you know? Yeah. Or the ends justify the means. It's like, yeah, I have to kill this group of people, but that's okay because we, the righteous will win over the heathens and infidels and whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It's so kind of crazy, especially like this crazy, crazy time. Like I have a friend who I dearly love that has fallen into the QAnon bullshit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I just have to be like, you know, I've been through a cult. I can't you know, I'm not going to do it anymore. And I love you so much. But what you're talking about is kind of crazy. Like the ends do not justify the means in this, you know, like number 45 is a savior. It's just ridiculous to me. It's just so like, ah, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. But how do you get through to that friend so that they can see what you see? It's just, they're going to have to, they'll figure it out. Yeah. They'll be back. I'm, I'm hoping fingers crossed definitely on that. Yes. I hope so too. They're not my friend, but I will hope for the best. (laughs) I am hoping for the best for the world. (laughs) I wish everyone was my friend so I could tell them what I, what I think, but (laughs) I will ask just one more question on this um, and it'll tie into our near and clear to my heart theme. I feel like religions kind of go to two extremes. They either preach homosexuality means you're going to hell or they just don't talk about it at all. Was homosexuality or a queerness or you know, any sort of non-heteronormative. I stuffed that shit down. 
Yeah. yeah. Was that was that talked about in in the church or did you just know like I have to stuff this down? I have this conversation with my friend Florencia who is she's a showrunner of Dyke Central. She hired me uh, a long time ago for Fiona's script, but I think this is also the, the reason why she wrote the role of Jin for me because before I was in the cult, you know, I would go to church and this is like the regular SDA church. You know, this is before it went into like the craziness with the youth church and the home churches. You know, my grandmother would take me every now and again to church during middle school. And I was a very kind of fluid child, uh, even though I didn't have the words for it. Um, Like I liked quote unquote boy things and you know, all my Barbie dolls heads were shaved and, you know, switched around and they had, they were dating each other, even though I didn't know what bisexuality was. I had no idea. It was just like something that I did as a child. And then when I was in middle school and I would dress, my favorite thing was to dress in suits. I was so shamed by the, the elders of the church, like the deacons, they would be like, you know, you're, you're an abomination to God. You are wearing what pertaineth unto a man. And I thought that I was so trying to be respectful by like wearing a suit. So that was like my first inkling that, you know, it was not okay. And then when I joined the cult, I just didn't talk about it. Like it was squashed down, but it was bad. You were going to hell. This is like an abomination. So the people of Sodom, you know, all that shit. Mm -hmm. So I did go there. (laughs) Yeah. So I just didn't talk about it or say anything i just stuff that shit down and that's the tough thing i mean it's kind of like if you choose to be part of this organization and cult or religion you also you know kind of choose that like i'm gonna put this other part of my life away Mm -hmm. because it was also like framed in the way of putting sins away and i had given away so much of myself that i literally gave away Everything that made me me, all of my music, all of my movies, all of my clothes that were not according to what they deemed as modest, I gave everything away. So it was just easy for me to like be like, ah, okay, I'll give this part away. Like it's not like a, you know, like a thing. Mm -hmm. I can follow God's rule. (laughs) (laughs) I'll try to ask this as a single question, but it's probably got multiple parts. Okay. How do you get out? How do you get out? How is that? I mean, because you have a, a child. Yeah, it was in stages, honestly. Like the first thing was leaving the cabin in the woods for my safety and the safety of my child. Once being removed from that, in my head, you know, I still wanted to have a good upbringing for my kid. I want that. So we went to counseling and during counseling, it was, it became apparent that it was a super abusive relationship. Like he would do things like throw logs at me and just the fact that they missed me, I'd be like, oh, they missed me. It's not a big thing. <laughs> you know. So realizing that I was in a, a domestically abusive relationship was uh, one part of it, one part of like the extracting from it. And then once I got myself out of that, then realizing, and when I was doing that, like the church, the church defended him and I was the one that was apostate. So Mm -hmm. that soured my relationship with the church because I was like, wait, this is dangerous. This is abusive. And yet you're siding with him. So that started my journey with distancing myself from religion. And that took a while. That probably took, I don't know. I don't know, but years. 
you know? That's really strong of you because one of the, you know, if you read, and I, I listen to all the podcasts about cults. I watch all the documentaries because I'm fascinated by just the human mind and nature. And, you know, one of the things that is common feature of cults, if we'll call it a feature, is, uh, you know, when you're trying to leave, they shun you Mm -hmm. um, so that you'll want to come back. And, you know, they tell you that you're wrong because you're not following this. And if that's all you've known for most of your life, all of your life, a lot of people can't leave that because you're leaving everyone behind. Yeah, it's devastating. It is devastating. But I just, I couldn't, I couldn't. Yeah, and for you to, you know, to just know that you couldn't do it, to recognize this is what's going on, to seek counseling from someone who's not part of the church. Like these are, you're very strong and is very, just thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> Sometimes I hate that phrase, but it definitely is something that, you know, in my life I, could, I pull from in my acting work. Like, I don't know what I would – like, acting kind of saved me from it. it. That whole tele, you know, telemarketing person, if that person had not said to get into voiceovers, I would not be here. I have no education. Like, part of the whole thing is the cult is – like, they had you leave school because you were – subjected to a worldly doctrine so I quit school you know and I always felt a lot of deep shame for that and I I guess I could go back to school but honestly being a single mom at that point in time like I was like 18 with a toddler you know (laughs) like I had to make money so um and the only and I was making money acting so I just kept on going I didn't go back to school because actually you know what I did go back to school I tried to go back to school four years ago but it was just too hard you know it was too hard to like try to keep up a business and teach and be a mom and then also go and try to get a degree in something I don't know what (laughs) yeah well it sounds like you've got you know your career plans lined up and that school doesn't always school isn't always the way to the career path I think I'm I'm successful acting because I don't have a plan B. This is all I know. <laughs> yeah, you're all in. <laughs> I am all in. I am all in with this. That's so cool too that someone over the phone was like, hey, you should try this. And I know you said it was a, a stupid audio clip you sent, but it couldn't have been that stupid if you landed a gig right away. Yeah, I, I mean, like the audio clip got me to stars. Stars signed me and then they sent me to a physical audition where I had to do it was a it was an Australian boy and my accent was so bad and I don't know why they hired me, but they did. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm not religious, I do believe in something bigger than myself. And I'm like, oh, it's a sign. At that point in time I was like, oh, it's a sign from God. Now I'm like, oh, these were like little breadcrumbs from the universe. <laughs> you know, I yeah. can't deny that. <laughs> no, hundred because that timing was perfect. You could have not picked up the phone that day. Yeah. You know, the thing could have got lost in the mail. Like who a million things could have happened. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, it, it there's <laughs> there's definitely something bigger than myself out there. I wouldn't attribute it to like the God of the Bible, but you know, there's definitely something bigger that I do believe in. So you were doing the the voiceover work for a while, mm-hmm. and then what got you into the transition into acting? And then I know you've been doing some some writing as well. Yeah. So um, after voiceovers, in in order to make the most money as an actor, you have to kind of be diversify. So voiceovers was one of the things that I was doing, and then my agent in the Bay Area was a full service talent agency. So they have like commercial department, they have their modeling department, they have their 
on-camera department. I'm not a model. So, you know, they were sending me out on on on-camera auditions and that's how I got to doing that. And then my first gig in the real, real, real industry um, was ER, which was crazy because that was getting my SAG card on as a recurring role on ER is huge. Is huge. And another sign from the universe, another little breadcrumb thing that I was like, okay, let me go ahead and pursue this. ER was like the show. I mean, that show was on fucking forever. Yeah. And so I was just like, okay, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to follow where this thing leads me. And then my teacher at the time had me start teaching classes for her. And that's how I started getting into teaching. And just as an actor, you have to kind of have your hands in a lot of different pots because even when you get a series regular role, Dyke Central and Amazon Prime, which is the show that I have right now, that was only 12 days of filming for one entire season. Really? Yeah. So even though actors have this goal of being like a series regular and things like that, People in the real world don't understand that that's just such a small portion of your time and you still have to go out there and still continually book jobs. If Dyke Central went into a second season or, you know, further, then I'd have a job. But it's very much a gig to gig lifestyle. So you have to have something that supports you in that lifestyle. You have to really love it because you love acting because it's you love the acting of it. Because the business of it is kind of crazy. And people don't tell you that. People want to sell you on the dream and the fame and like, ooh, you get residuals. But the residuals that you get are like two cents. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, I'm is the- it even worth the time to cash the check? <laughs> yeah, and until you get that series regular rule that is like NCIS for like 14 seasons, you're not really set. Like you're going to be a working actor and searching for gigs like it's like a it's like a very entrepreneurial gig working lifestyle and people don't know that because a lot of the things that you see on tv is like the glamour and glitz of it all but it's not really like that it's really kind of like work the one thing i'm a terrible actress um but you know when you i do stand up and so when you do stand up people are like oh you can act and it's like i actually can't but i also like would never want to do like 6 a.m call times Yeah, I'm good with it for like a short period of time, especially if I like the people that I'm working with. But day in and day out, ah, that's crazy. And, you know, like I have I have students that have book series regular roles and, you know, it's one or two seasons and they're they're back to like regular school lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very fickle mistress, as they say. Yeah. Real quick, do you have any cool stories about ER and then also another one of my favorite shows, Bones, which you did an episode of? Yeah, okay, so ER, I was scared of Mackay Pfeiffer. Oh. I don't remember. Yeah, I was scared of him. And I think, I don't know, like, during that time if it was because he was supposed to be intimidating to my character. Mm. But I was so scared of him. <laughs> but that that first role, the, the crazy thing about that role is that the – director Leslie Linklater hired me to play I think I don't remember to play Lee or something like that so I learned my lines for Lee and there was two med students on that particular episodes and then before you film you just stand around and you do your lines and before the cameras roll the director was like no I actually hired you for this role switch it like switch your lines oh, right what? before filming so that was kind of crazy because 
Then we had to switch lines right before filming. <laughs> oh my god, I, so that, I couldn't have done it. Yeah, that made my uh, my first time on set on that big show very harrowing in my memory. But they brought me back for three more episodes, so that was fun. So you clearly did it well. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I think so. You, you, I mean, sometimes people work better under pressure, so they might have done that on purpose. Oh, dear God. I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then let's say Bones. 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 What's his name? The guy that played Angel. David Boreans. Yeah, David Boreans. He wears crazy socks all the time. That's his thing. <laughs> and Emily Deschanel is the sweetest oh, person. And she is so down to earth and grounded. And even though like I was just a guest on the show, she made me feel so comfortable. So comfortable. Like I was like meant to be there, you know, even though I was only there for one episode. But she's just she's just super sweetheart. She probably doesn't remember me, but she's she she's great. She she might remember you. You don't know that, but that's really great. You know, when I'm a fan of a show, I'm, I'm a fan of the show. And sometimes when I hear stuff about like behind the scenes, it, it could be really disheartening. So I really love hearing that people I, I think are amazing are, are amazing. <laughs> are good humans. Yeah. And I did want to ask about Dyke Central. I guess, how did that come about? And then is there going to be a future for Dyke Central? So Florencia Manoville, who is a showrunner for Dyke Central, cast me initially in 2008 for a feature film called Fiona Script. In Fiona Script, I got a Best Supporting Actress nomination alongside, yeah. I know, alongside Alfre Woodard and Amy Irving, who are Academy Award nominees. So I was like, ah, you know, that, that's cool. And Florencia and I, we've been friends since then. Being part of a film, you just kind of become family, especially the way that she runs her sets like it just becomes like family and I had told her what I had told you about being su a super dapper kid you know and then not knowing what happened when I joined the cult like I don't know who I would have been and so when she was coming up with the you know stories for Dyke Central which is about two roommates masculine of center roommates in Oakland she asked me hey how would you feel about playing a, a soft butch and I was like yeah, definitely. So she created the character of Jin for me so I can explore what that side of myself would be like, especially since that was kind of like cut off when I was in the cult. And that was really fun because Jin is so different from me. Jin's like a genderqueer, super Lothario, like has a different girl every single episode. So that was a really fun part of my soul to be able to explore without judgment. Yeah, I love um, on IMDb when they have the plot keywords for for Dyke Central. The plot keywords are homosexual, lesbian, marijuana, sex, Bay Area. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is such a Bay Area queer show. And during the pandemic, it's kind of weird because, you know, everybody's binging stuff during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So even though Dyke Central came out technically two years ago on Amazon, it's kind of been having like a new resurgence since we've all been shut down. And my co-star, Troy, who who is on the show and, and is masculine of center, and he's actually transitioned since the show. He's getting recognized all over the place. And I'm like, oh, good. I'm not. 
<laughs> because because in real life I am more femme presenting than butch, which is part of it is also because I'm an actor and you kind of have to be a certain way. Like especially when I first started, you have to be a certain way to book more gigs. But it's changing now, which is good. Uh, there are no more like non-binary characters and more out people in the industry, which such a relief. Even to have a show called Dyke Central that Amazon is putting out there is huge. Yeah. And it's interesting because we actually made the pilot in 2005. And a lot when Florencia brought the pilot to a lot of the networks, they were like, no, we don't want these leads because they're not fuckable. (laughs) (laughs) The standard was like the L word, the beautiful, thin, white lesbians. And Dyke Central is just so different and so you know, ahead of its time. Um, And, you know, now there's more gender diversity, which is great. But like when they were first shopping around the pilot, there was definitely a lot of pushback. So what happened is that Florencia uh, raised the money on her own for the next episodes two through 10. And then Amazon acquired it two years ago. Yeah, which is is great. And then now Amazon sees... There is an audience for yeah. it. Like whatever demographics they were looking at were fucking wrong. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so is there uh, is there going to be more? I don't know. You know, like now that people are finding it, because it, it takes a while for people to find things anyway, you know, the, there is a question of will there be an episode two? It's been five years since the pilot of it. So a lot of us have changed. And I don't know how Florencia would incorporate that into a season two. I know that she has something written for season two. Then it's just finding the funding and putting everybody back together again if we're going to do something else. I think she has something else cooking up, cooking up her sleeve, though. Hopefully, if it's catching enough steam from Amazon, then the people are going to demand it and there won't be a choice. I hope so. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so uh, what's what's next for you? I do have another film on Amazon, which is very, very cheesy Christmas family based. It's not, you know, it's kind of like a sweet story. It's called Middleton Christmas. Uh, Eileen Davidson is my boss. And so I'm doing like promotion for that every now and again. And then I'm doing my teaching. So anybody that, you know, is wanting to get into the industry, Hollywood Actors Workshop is my website for that. I have a film called Ally 3000, which I wrote and directed that has won a couple of awards on the film festival circuit. So I am doing all those things. And then I have a feature film called Disgraced, which is a comedic satire loosely based on my cult experience <laughs> that I'm trying to get off the ground. So awesome. we'll see. Oh, and Rain Dove. I don't know if you know who Rain Dove is. Uh, they won a couple of episodes of Dyke Central, but they are attached to it to play Gabriel slash Gabrielle in the film. So if anybody wants to be producer, hit me up because I can make this stuff for cheap. Yeah, I'm a guerrilla filmmaking, bootstrapping kind of person. So Yeah, well, if you don't want to wait around for somebody else, if you have the idea and, and folks attached to it, you know, it's just getting the money. Yes, exactly. This has been so, it has been so great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. I know we got into like some dark stuff. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Because we came back out of it. It's it's. Uh, I tell everyone this is a this is a roller coaster. Because I'm a stand up, a lot of people want to come on here and and be funny. And it's not about that. It's just about getting to know you and you know your journey up until this point. And you know it's really cool 
for you to be able to share everything that you did. And, you know, I had a great time and I learned a lot. Thank you for um, having conversation with me, especially in this time of life where we're not even seeing anybody. So just having like a nice human conversation is great. Yeah, that's what, you know, has really kept this podcast going for me, because when COVID first started, it was hard to to do anything creative. Um, But, you know, the more I talk to people um, and the more I learn about different experiences and you know, what's going on with everybody. It's like, there's a reason that we do this. So, you know, I do appreciate uh, you taking the time out to be a part of it. Well, thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you to Giovanni for sharing her worlds with you. Special thank you to Ryan Golub for doing our theme song. It's been awesome. We've loved it so much. Check us out on social media, Queer to My Heart on Twitter, Near and Queer to My Heart on Instagram and Facebook, and maybe if we get less curmudgeon we'll end up on TikTok. We have merch over at tpublic.com, T-E-E public.com, Near and Queer to My Heart over there, so check us out. We love you. We're going to see you next time. Thank you. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.